This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 220, Client Spotlight, Joe Ruley on Bread and Circuses and Banking. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. I want to just say the obvious. We are living in very unique times. You know what I mean. Times where the stock market can be hitting all-time record highs, but interest rates are at 0% for some unknown reason, uh, supported as if we're in some sort of major emergency crisis mode. A time where people have so much money that they can't buy stuff fast enough because we have a shipping container backlog crisis on the West Coast of the country. Shipping containers full of content from other countries who are making everything for us. And all we have is uh, paper money being printed like never before in our pockets. We're raising young children, our next generation, to be concerned about people they might meet on the street who have to hide behind masks covering their true selves. And yet we're entertaining the metaverse and revealing our true alternate identities to complete strangers online while family members sit isolated in their respective suburban bedrooms. This is the strange world we live in, in this brand new, brave new world. Now, these are all things that you might have opinions on, ideas on, me too. Uh, and I'm not here to talk about all of that today. What I want to bring up is the phrase bread and circuses. Have you heard of that phrase, bread and circuses? I'd kind of heard it in the ether, but I'd never really gotten into where it came from until... I met with our guest today, who I'll introduce in just a moment. The phrase bread and circuses originates from the Roman satirical poet, Juvenal. And he lived about 100 AD. And in context, the phrase bread and circuses identifies the only remaining interest of the Roman population, which after a long history of fighting and, and achieving a historical birthright of a politically involved civilization, you know, after an incredible journey as a young republic built on the power of people, it had become a worldwide empire. And Juvenal has contempt for this. He says that this large, ever-expanding, power-hungry empire uh, shows then a declining heroism of the Roman people, and specifically politicians. For example, in 140 AD, uh, to keep the votes of poorer citizens, Juvenal says, the Roman politicians introduced something called a grain dole, basically providing free bread and wheat to Roman citizens, as well as putting on costly circuses uh, to keep them entertained. Cheap food and entertainment, bread and circuses, as an effective way of aspiring politicians to rise to power and to gather uh, curry political power. Now, there's a quote by Michael Hoff that comes to mind here, and the quote is this, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. I'm going to say that again, because that's, that's such a great cyclical quote, one of those quotes for the ages. Here it is. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And I would put men and women in that because, you know, we're all a part of this civilization together. So, I'd say, you know, we have a lot of work ahead of us in this world to fight for and to enjoy the good times that we all strive for and work toward. And we need to be strong men and women 
and teaching our children to be strong men and women as well. And one of the things I just have always loved is the opportunity to meet other strong men and women. And I feel like one of the real powerful gifts or blessings in this business is the capacity and in, in opportunity to have real honest conversations about things that matter in people's lives. Clients all across the spectrum, from poor to rich, from the engineer to the artist, there's an incredible breadth of conversation that I get to have. And I feel absolutely thrilled that I can introduce to you one of our wonderful clients, someone who has been in my life for many years, a great friend, someone who always brings a smile to my face and thoughts into my mind and joy into my heart when I get to speak with him. His name is Joe Ruley. Joseph Ruley is a transplanted Hoosier now living in Chicago. He moved in 2006. As a 1987 graduate of University of Notre Dame, he has a 1992 graduate degree from St. Minard School of Theology, an MDiv, just like me. So he and I are co-laborers in that regard. Uh, he taught social studies, religion, philosophy, and history at the high school level. He began writing as a career upon his arrival in the second city, Chicago, and has had two short stories published, a stage play performed, an electronic tour book published online, and the Chicago Haymarket Affair, printed and published by History Press, Arcadia Publishing in 2016. That was his first print book, followed by his second book, Chicago Socialism, The People's History, again by History Press, Arcadia Publishing in 2019. Now, he's been a prolific writer, and in fact, he's just released his first novel. The novel is a satire, Bread and Circuses. It's already released through Chicago-based publisher Shy City House, that's S-H-Y, Shy City House, and he is contracted with History Press Arcadia Publishing for his third book, tentatively called Chicago Marching, Protest, Authority, and Violence Since 1855. So as you can tell, he's going to have a breadth of knowledge on the Chicago history, but I think even more broadly to the history of banking and protest and freedom in this country. So take a listen. I know you're going to enjoy this wide-ranging interview with Joe Ruley. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you. You know, this has been a conversation that I've been looking forward to sharing with our audience for a long time now. I've thought about, you know, who are the just the coolest people I get to meet with and talk with, uh, and you always come to mind. I, I always Yay. love it when it's when it's time for our six month review meetings and and so forth, because I I love to hear the latest updates on where life has taken you. You're always on it seems an incredible adventure uh, with publishing and more. But I don't want to you know, spill the beans too quickly here uh, on what you're up to today with, with your books mm -hmm. and more. Take us back to your childhood, like, uh, and, and specifically, what was money like for you as a kid? Well, it was, it was funny. I look back and see a lot of my patterns started with, you know, my two sisters and I all received an allowance. We had particular jobs to do. So we had a set amount and I learned, and I, I wish I had them, but I would always write every month what my what my income was at the time, which figured by the time I was probably in the middle grades, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I, I think I had a bank account, a savings account. So I always put what was in there, plus what I had in my dresser drawer. And um, I'd always count that. And I had a, an ongoing list. And I, I remember doing that. And I remember always being uncomfortable when it got to a level that I felt was too low. Uh, so I always had like cushion money. 
even when it was just for buying baseball cards or as we got closer to the bicentennial in 1976, I bought U.S. president cards in bubblegum card style. <laughs> so, you know, just a lot of that stuff. I was we were allowed to spend our money with approval, but but we always saw it as as our money that we that we earned. Love it. Okay. And then, so fast forward, you've had many adventures in life. You and I met, tell me what, what you were doing in Chicago and, and sort of when, when we met was probably 2012 or 13, give or take. It was, yeah, it was 13. If you remember okay. the, the summer that uh, I was just going through the horrible experience of begging a mortgage from a bank, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was buying into a co-op building. And so it was uh, hard finding a bank. I finally ended up going with a financial mor- uh, 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 mortgage broker in Chicago who was much friendlier to the co-op world than, than most in the banking system. And for those that maybe aren't familiar, what makes a co-op different? I see. Yeah, the co-op is different. And that's what makes banks nervous about it is that I don't own the property. I own shares of the whole, which I love. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's if I may use the S word, it's very socialistic in its, mm-hmm. in its principle of everybody's got a say in everything. And we manage yep. ourselves. There are 36 units and we also self-manage one rental unit in the building. So we take turns on the board. Um, it was very appealing to me and it was very low, low cost. So... It took me six months to get it. And we met, you and I met when I was helping out uh, a mutual friend, Nathaniel Filbert, the photographer. He had done some work with me on headshots and then I could help him out with doing some work on his business portfolio by being one of his, you know, quote unquote models yeah. uh, in his in his photo shoots. And you were, you were sort of manning the door of the building we use and that's That's right and you and i were talking in some of the breaks that we had during the photo shoot so you told me some of your business and uh i wasn't quite ready at the time because we were just going to be closing on the condo in the next month or so i think we met in may and i ended up closing in july and then i said yeah we'll talk when i get all you know, done, which in my mind was like, okay, I hope he doesn't call me again. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful. So, so I want to touch on the co-op concept a lot because, or just a bit more, because you're right. There's a, there's a kind of a, uh, a private lonely silo that you live in when you have a condo and everyone's walls is where the responsibility stops. You know, I've got my condo and you might have yours down the hall, but we don't have anything to really do with each other except that we happen to live in the same large building, high-rise building in in a downtown like Chicago or New York or something. But a co-op is more mutually uh, engaging, uh, you might say. It has uh, responsibilities for the whole uh, we have, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you have decisions that you make that might impact other members and even their interior space or their roof or whatnot. And as you say, you've got even a rental that the building itself, all of you have to make decisions on if you're going to raise the rent or or do this and that and fix this up correct. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's right. almost like a, a business unto itself in some ways. 
Correct. Um, yeah. And that yeah. might tie into mutual mutual life insurance companies. We might make a connection there, Joe, mm-hmm. a little bit later in our conversation. So I'm at a co-office space. This is early on in the Lake Growth days at that point. And I'm running my own little business from my little spot in that co-office space. And, you know, as is the case with co-offices, um, you know, you don't have a private sealed off office space. It could be anybody walking through that door. You know, there could be a carnival walking in to have a, a, a little uh, show in your co-office space while you're trying to do, you know, deep work for for your clients and so forth. And that was sort of what I experienced when you and about a, a half a dozen other models right. walk in the room and my, my buddy and, and friend and client Nathaniel uh, is taking photos of you guys for his portfolio. Okay. So that's, you've set the stage for us and, and I'm telling you a bit about um, my work, I guess, on the breaks. Do you right. remember much about, do you have any memory of like what I said or, or was that? Oh, definitely. Kind of yeah. I never heard ether? of anything like that. Cause you know, from my time, you know, uh, outside of just savings account, checking account. I just knew like investing in stocks and bonds, which never appealed to me, partly because of my socialistic strain is that I don't trust the, you know, as I call it with you in my meetings, I don't trust feeding the beast. Right. Um, <laughs> now I happen to work for a great company, you know, in my, in my non-writing time to pay my bills, I work for Trader Joe's. And that's been a great company to work. They're very, they know how to treat workers. Yeah. And there's a great investment program, 401k. But sadly for me, it's in the stock market. But you're right. But, they, they greatly support and have a very generous match for sure. Yeah. At Trader yeah. Joe's. So, so that's been a great savings. But even more so, when you introduced me to the Bank on Yourself program, it was this eye opener of like, okay, I could use this as my savings account. Cause it's like, you know, in the, I, I'm not getting much interest, you know, with mm-hmm, my, mm-hmm. with my yep. money. <laughs> so, and I didn't want to, you know, what I felt was gambling it away in the stock market um, because I don't want to be beholden to anybody or at the, at the mercy of somebody sneezing, you know, right. in some region right. and then mm-hmm. gas prices go up, you know? Yeah. So, so it just seems so volatile that that was not appealing at all. So I think the, the non-volatility overall of the bank on yourself system, I think that was the most appealing. And I had never heard of anything like that. Because when you first said, I don't know, you said bank on yourself, but I didn't know what that meant. Then I heard like insurance. And I thought, oh God, here we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you said, I hope this guy doesn't call me back. Yeah. No, right, right. But it was yeah. great because- Talking to you again, watching the video, one of the early videos, I think, mm-hmm. and reading the material, I think that really explained it. And and so by October, when we when we started my policy, I think it was, it was I was a hundred percent behind it by then. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I'd love to know what helped you kind of overcome that threshold. Most of us, including myself, very skeptical when I first heard about this, uh, just a few years previous, and so. What was it, if you can recall, that oh. sort of said, you know what? Hey, this yeah. is this is legit enough for me to give it a shot. Right. It was definitely the non-risk of it overall. Like I said, overall. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, all things in the 21st century being equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the 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 element of non-risk that mm-hmm. I was really not not interested in in playing any market. Yeah, there you go. You know, partly I, on on philosophical grounds, but also on 
pragmatic. Yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. lose my money. You know, and, and there's a lot of clients who similarly, they, they have a moral or philosophical, at least resistance to feeding the beast, like you say. Uh, so that's a big piece to the puzzle for them. And then I remember in our conversations, and it was in that little co-office uh, conference room, I recall, we were talking some about the organizational structure of these life insurance companies and how essentially you become a partner in a mutually owned cooperative. I don't know if we use that word or not, but that's kind of what it is uh, for folks listening very quickly. You know, when it's a bank on yourself designed whole life insurance policy, it's a contract that you have with a mutually owned life insurance company. And what that means is there's no public shareholders. There's no strangers that own the company. It's, it's Joe and me and everybody else that has a policy, right? It's only the policy holders that have the right to vote and make decisions about and to manage and to own the insurance company that we have a contract with. Now, does that sound at all familiar to your co-op experience? <laughs> yeah, so, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe, I'll, I'll tell this quickly. There was a moment where I, I was traveling and I happened to stay at a hotel that for whatever reason, I, I happened to know that this hotel was owned by one of the insurance companies that I had a contract with, that I had a policy with. So the insurance company had the hotel in their portfolio and I'm an owner of that insurance company. So sort of like in some very small way, I was like, Hey, I kind of own this hotel. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, m- maybe I own the lamp in the corner over there, but that's about all I own. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's just neat to think that, Hey, we're participating together for the mutual benefit of all the policyholders. Is it perfect? No. Is anything on this side of heaven? Perfect. I guess not, but that's kind of what we mean when we say mutually owned companies. Okay. Right. So back to you, Joe. What was it that you have since used your policy for? If you can think back to early days, how oh, have you sure. used your policy? Yeah, uh, both times I have had, um, I have uh, uh, two books published with uh, History Press Arcadia Publishing uh, on Chicago history. Mm-hmm. The first book was published in 2016. So three years after I started my policy, uh, um, I was able to borrow against that part of my contract with history press is to buy 500 copies at cost and I can sell them uh, at my events that I have outside bookstores. Mm -hmm. So then basically I used my policy to front that money that uh, my contract required with history press. And then within a year of both books, within a year, I had them paid off. Mm, that's um, really creative. So I did that also with my second book that was published in 2019, even though the rate of book signings has slowed dramatically since the <laughs> pandemic, but we're hoping those can be picked up again. And now uh, I have a, a fiction publisher with my novel. It, it's not necessary for me to do that uh, with the novel, but I do have book number three coming out with History Press next year. So I will be Hey, I will be dipping into you, that next year. Are you ready to announce that? Uh, uh, did you come prepared well, to that, announce the topic yeah, of that think, third book? I think so. So <laughs> uh, uh, temporarily, at least, the title is uh, Chicago Marching. And then it's subtitled Protest, Authority, and Violence Since 1855. 
yeah. which sadly there are there are far too many parallels with not even just what we witnessed in 2020 in Chicago and other cities, but what has been a pattern, sadly, in Chicago since German mm-hmm. immigrants protested to City Hall in 1855 during what was called the Lager Beer Riots. Well, so. Joe, every time you and I talk, I learn more about the great city that you and I both share. Uh, and I want to make sure folks at the end of this episode learn where they can get these books. If they're at all a history buff like you are, Joe, they're going to want to read your books. It's really kind of creative to me to think, you know, anytime somebody needs a chunk of money, whether it's to invest in real estate or to publish a, a, a book, uh, using a liquid pool of money from your policy was the way to go. Now, if you hadn't had your policy, Joe, what would your options have been? You know, did the did the um, publishing house give you financing options? Do you recall? I could have negotiated a monthly payment. My other option mm-hmm. was going to a bank. A bank, yeah, a yeah, yeah. And, yeah, paying. You know, sure. Not not quite interest like a credit card, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have had. Uh, monthly payments to credit cards. I've I've done that, and it's mm-hmm. it's criminal. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it's you know the mafia was was destroyed on racketeering charges, <laughs> partly because of, because of the extortion of of uh, of interest. You know, it's and, just, and they live again today in the likes of plastic cards in our wallet, right? The mafia yeah, exactly. has been transformed I, into yeah, credit cards, right? The, Minus the broken kneecaps. Minus yeah. the broken kneecaps. Yeah. And and I'm yeah. betting that your publisher would not have sent Uncle Guido to your house. However, no. No. Uh, as kind as they are, they probably would have set you up on a repayment plan. Love it. Well, there are more projects ahead. Books are one thing. You're working on uh, using the policy to truly bring to life the vision and the, the message you've written in your books. And I'm just so happy that you were able to use your policy to do that. Yeah, uh, you also have a plan for um, another project with this policy. Do you well, mind sharing that as well? Oh, definitely, because it is. It would be such a liberation for me, just not just financially, but psychologically. Uh, is that in a couple years, um, my plan, my policy should be at an amount that is more than the mortgage that I owe. Mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. my condo to my co-op so or for the co-op to the to the bank which ironically the bank i that now i'm paying my mortgage mortgage to they would never have approved a mortgage loan to a co-op mm, which is funny part of the ridiculous <laughs> nature of the system mm-hmm. that's for another podcast <laughs> but anyway yeah so within a couple of years i should be able you know all things being equal and nothing un, unforeseen happens, I should be able to use my policy to pay off my mortgage. And then with that mortgage money, I have already budgeted every month, I will pay myself back. You'll be your own mortgage to yourself. A fraction (laughs) of the interest that I'm paying to the mortgage holder. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Joe, that's exciting. I would hope that I could be invited to your house to watch you burn that mortgage paper. Yes. I mean, the mortgage to the bank, I'm hoping they send me something. But the stock certificate that I will get, mm-hmm. you know, that's I can't burn that. So yeah, don't that, burn that one. Yeah, my, frame that one. My, yeah, but frame, yeah, I would frame love that to burn, one for sure. Uh, burn well, the letter of mortgage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, tell me, you know, how does the philosophy of bank on yourself? How does that meet your philosophy for just how you deal with money 
and just sure. maybe even more broadly, your philosophy for how economies could be run? Yeah, I think uh, right away for me personally, it's just knowing that this insurance policy slash savings account slash accessible money is growing more than yeah. it ever would yeah. in a conventional institution. And again, nothing against banking. I have problems with banks, mm -hmm. the way they're run. This is now my third institution that I'm making payments to. Mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that, again, drives me crazy, is that yeah. all three of these institutions did not give me a mortgage. But now <laughs> I have them. eight years paying them. So anyway, just looking at the statement every month and seeing how much of it goes to interest, it's mm -hmm. just... Mm -hmm. Again, it's just they have the power. So I think with the, the 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 incentive for me is not just the great interest that I'm getting for my money growing, but the fact that I am not beholden to this unknown entity or group of people in a in a stockholder yeah. meeting. There is nothing for me, nothing more degrading than begging a mortgage. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. There's kind of a faceless, nameless. It's it's sort of a demeaning experience to even to realize that, you know, as a person begging for a mortgage, you were probably brought up in somebody's boardroom somewhere in some other part of the country. There, they looked at your file, they saw your name, they saw your finances, and they said check mark or or put it in the trash. Yeah. And that would have determined your future, right? Um, right. Why should banks exactly. have that kind of control over us? Right. I, I have a question as a historian too, Joe. How have banks uh, impacted the 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 unrest, let's say, of urban populations? Yeah. If you recall, you know the last uh, you know the the end of the Bush eight years and the beginning and middle of the Obama years was a you know really rough housing issues, the collapses, the everything that it did to the economy, the ripple effect that it had, but no one was held accountable. And it's the same thing that happened in the 80s and 90s with the savings and loan crashing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that people responsible weren't held accountable. But I certainly, in 2013, was held accountable to a lot more stringent rules about borrowing money. And I remember my bank, my first banker, who was so problematic to get a loan from uh, the bank, not him, but the bank, mm -hmm. um, was that I'm subject to all these new regulations and it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I didn't bring down this system. And it was yeah. like all these other people who were responsible, all these entities and human control that this wasn't a computer screwing up. Yeah. These were people doing deliberate things yeah. uh, for their benefit. They were rewarded. You know, mm -hmm. if you remember all the controversy about the part, you know, the uh, the bailouts that Bush did, the bailouts that Obama did, their mm -hmm. their um uh you know, it, it really said, you know, people say follow the money trail. Well, yeah, it's very easy to see who's beholden to whom yep. when something like this happens. How many people went to jail? I don't yeah. think many of any, if any, right. went to jail but during those days. Lost their, yeah, how many people mm -hmm. lost their homes? How many people yep. I'm just going to say it's a it's a great fit for me with this uh, other this uh, this system of um, of bank on yourself. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Well, it brings the banking back down to the you and me level, and we don't have to right. rely on major corporations or um, entities beyond us. We can do it.
just like your co-op, we can do it on the you and me level. And you're taking back the function of banking in your life and using a tool that doesn't rely on stock market risk. Uh, it gives you a decent enough rate of return that beats inflation, that has some tax advantages where necessary. You're paying your fair share for the taxes as because usually people put money into the policy with after-tax money. So you're certainly helping fill the, the potholes in Chicago yeah. <laughs> as you fund your policy. <laughs> uh, but then when it's time to retire, you might be able to pull that money out with no taxes due at all. So right. um, I, I, love, uh, I just yeah. love these conversations. I think it's also interesting that there are some people who are clients of mine who are all along the political spectrum, but they all share in common their disinterest or even loathe for banks, you know, their, their <laughs> hatred for banks. You know, it's, it's almost our like- point of unity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We can, we can gather around that central point. And, and, you know, there's a book by David Graeber. The book is called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. That's wow. That's the name of the book. And it's, I, I recommend it for folks. Uh, and he's got some interesting conclusions as well, but he, he talks about the, the origins of barter and the origins of the, the debt we owe to our parents for just giving us birth and all this, but then also like financial debt and right up through the recent financial crisis and more. Uh, but the point is that banking as a human function seems to be about as core to us as sharing is, you know, like it's about as core as friendship is, you know, it goes as far back as we can count for human civilization, but banks are not something that have always existed, uh, especially not the way they exist today, the biggest right. building in town and mega corporations, multinational banks and so forth. And if you can think creatively like you do, Joe, to, to bring banking back down to a personal level where you have some say and control and, and even ownership in the insurance company that you have a contract with, and you're able even to buy back your mortgage from, we won't name the name of the mortgage company, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just so cool. And what a refreshing way to think about, uh, talk about think outside the box, you know? Um, so congratulations to you uh, for taking that step of courage. Well, and, whatnot. Thank, and thank you for, yeah. for pushing it. Well, what would you say to somebody who is is still trying to take the red pill to overuse a phrase there or to to think outside the box? Yeah. So, you know, for someone who may be still so, sort of uh, skeptical about this whole process of bank on yourself. I'd say talk to the professionals. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Stop reading on your own. <laughs> and again, this is from a writer. Mm -hmm. No, I say that kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, do some research, but but play out some of this with a human being. It's, it's especially somebody who's done it longer than you have. So it, I am not an expert. I am not a financial guy. I trust you. My, one of my sisters is in healthcare. I trust her on lots of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, I think that's part of the poison that we swallow in the 21st century is that it's so me-centered which is, you know, it's got its benefits, but not for knowledge, not for wisdom right. and knowledge. I yeah. might have information, but that's a big difference from uh, knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. a lot different from wisdom. So that's actually a great transition point, Joe. Um, if prosperity is not money and information is not wisdom, or at least it's not exclusively right. wisdom, yeah. what is prosperity for you? And yes. what is wisdom I for you? Yeah, I would say for that, just what you said, I would reverse it. Money is not prosperity. 
yeah. uh, as, as information is not wisdom. So yeah, for me, prosperity, ultimately it's um, a sense of being able, it's an abling thing, being able to live my life as I want to live it, not stepping on anybody else, mm -hmm. uh, but just looking at me for, for the individual I am. Uh, I am not confined by, you know, what I call the, the hourly wage slavery. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I am blessed for working with a company that thinks in terms of living wage as opposed to a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all those kind of things. Prosperity is my ability to, to be me uh, with very few restraints. Love it. I love it. And oh. I love that. And so, okay. So as we wrap up, where, what are the names of the books? What's the most recent one and where can we okay. read your material? Yes. So by the time this airs, Bread and Circuses, my satirical novel is published by Shy City House. And that has been released uh, in the middle of October uh, of 2021. And so we're very excited about that. 5% of all sales of the book in perpetuity uh, will go towards Story Catchers Theater, which is a writing program for youth in Cook County juvenile detention. So it's a way of, a very constructive way of addressing uh, a very essential need uh, in society, especially mm -hmm. in Chicago. Yeah, big time. Very cool. Joe, thank you for contributing. Thank you for being such a great friend and client for many yeah. years. And uh, best of luck in the, the new release of your book. Thank you very much. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you, Joe, again, for the opportunity to interview you today for our episode. Joe is one of those people I know who takes life by the horns, has been uh, an advocate of joy and pursuit of passion and his skill uh, since I've met him. So I want to thank Joe again for the opportunity to get to know him a bit more on this uh, interview. I hope you guys enjoyed the creative ideas that he used his bank on yourself policy for. Uh, and maybe it spurred some ideas for you too. What sort of strategies, ideas, concepts could you birth into the world uh, as a result of having a big pool of capital inside a bank on yourself type whole life policy. Maybe it's a book that you've been wanting to write, just like Joe. Maybe you're able to help finally finish that music album or put together something that you know the world has never seen, some art that needs to be shown to the world. This is your chance to do it if you've got the capital. And Joe has certainly been able to do that. And the world is better because of it. So good on you, Joe. And thank you, everyone, for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.